Welcome to New Life Baptist Preaching, where we grow in relationship, we grow in discipleship, and we grow in Jesus Christ. In this series, we enter a study of the letter to the Hebrews. In this study, we see how Jesus is better. He is the better revelation. He is the better priest. He is the better sacrificed. He is the better king. He brings the better covenant. So we hope that you join us as we grow together and learn more of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Subscribe so that you don't miss a single Lord's Day sermon. hope that especially considering the season, the holiday, which we celebrate, you're able to see that it's Christ. Christ is that man. He's that blessed man. He's the one who who never went astray and who walks only in the counsel of God's will. He is the one who overturns the way of the wicked. Listen, the incarnation is something that we should spend time on, we should dwell upon as Christians. It's something that uh, often we visit and we may have different traditions in the way that we celebrate that or the way that we approach this, but far be it from us that we neglect such a great truth as dwelling upon the way in which God was sin, his only begotten son. Chris was right this morning whenever he said we could go just about anywhere in scripture and learn about these truths. This morning in Sunday school, we even just in passing mentioned the way Christ walked through the law, the Psalms, the prophets, and he said they all speak of him for us this morning we're just continuing our study in hebrews we're not departing from it in the slightest we're picking up in chapter 5 hebrews chapter 5 and we're learning about the way in which god has sent his son so i welcome you to turn there in your copy of god's word Hebrews chapter 5, I will be reading the first six verses. Hebrews chapter 5. This morning, if there is to be a title, we might say of Jesus, He is a son, a priest, and a king. So all of this is certainly something we're going to be expanding on in the coming weeks, and yet we see all of it is overwhelmingly true in our passage this morning. If you've had an opportunity to turn there, I welcome you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. For every high priest taken among men is ordained for men in things pertaining to God 
that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. And by reason thereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we plead, show yourself to us. Show us yourself in all of the scriptures as indeed we reflect upon them as a whole. Lord, as we prepare our hearts for celebration of that which we speak of this morning, Lord, draw us near. Lord, I pray that every heart that is here this morning would grow attached to the Son whom you've sent, the one who is our great high priest, the one who is our high king of heaven, the one who has made us sons as well in your kingdom. It is in his precious name we pray, amen. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so much that we take for granted. You know, already this morning we've we've mentioned some that have lost loved ones. Without a doubt, we will celebrate in the coming days with some who will be absent, essentially, uh, that were not last year. We celebrate in such a way that uh, maybe we would have fewer dressings at the table or changes in, in, in gifts. Some of us may even be anticipating what next year's Christmas celebration may look like. But I pray that your heart is drawn near to this Christ of whom this passage speaks. Because you see this morning, 
your blessing. That which is most uplifting of our gathering together has nothing to do with the gifts, the food, the, the people. Certainly all those things are good. And yet they are far exceeded by these words that we have read here this morning, understanding that we have been sent a son. The writer of Hebrews is preparing the hearts of believers for every trial, every circumstance, every hardship in their dispersion among all the peoples, every loss, every ounce of suffering, every receival of blessing, every promise to unfold before them, every due diligence that they might work in to preserve this message and send it forth to and through their children. The writer of Hebrews is writing in light of all of these circumstances, and he's done so a great deal already concerning Jesus Christ as a high priest. And so he begins just reminding us, teaching us a little something about the old covenant priesthood. In the first four verses that I read for you there this morning, he simply revisits so that you haven't grown too foreign. Maybe you, uh, as a Hebrew, you haven't grown too far distanced from the old traditions that you're separated from if they be scattered in a foreign land or they've been tainted by uh, Roman practices or any other thing. He reminds you of the nature and the work of the priesthood that God gave through Moses and Aaron. How does he characterize them? He says, every high priest, now keep in mind, not every priest. Jesus isn't just a priest. He is the high priest. We're speaking of the one who would give offering for all the other priests. He's, we're speaking of the one priest who is set aside in a special way that would enter in by himself on the day of atonement to give atonement for even the sins that were unknown to the people at the very deepest levels. And he says, even of the highest priest under Aaron, that's ordained, that makes this mediation between God and men, this high priest that we're saying Christ fills the shoes of, is not appointed of himself. He says, though he is set aside in, in, a, in a like manner, he's going to mediate between God and man. He's going to atone for sins of all of the people of Israel and the remainder of the priesthood. He too is in need of sacrifice. We said before that Christ 
knows all of the ways in which we are tempted, that he bears this this, uh, likeness to us in understanding where we are in our place of sin, him being tempted yet without sin, But even the priest of that day can have compassion because he recognizes for him to go in and make offering, he must first have offering made for him. Before he might shed the blood of the sacrifice for all of the people, he will have to be first washed in blood that he might go in to the Holy of Holies. He recognizes the weight and the incapacity, we might even say, that he has to even offer this sacrifice for the sins of the people that he represents. So the writer of Hebrews says that even the high priest under Aaron has somewhat of compassion that we're speaking. In verse 4, he says, no man takes this honor to himself, by himself, for himself. There is no one that stood in Israel's history who said, I so love God, I think I will aspire to be a high priest. Not even one. All of them were appointed by God. All of them were set aside and they were commissioned by God, by some higher authority than themselves. So regardless of of the infirmity that they themselves were under, regardless of of their incapacity, regardless of the level of compassion they had, they were fully dependent upon the highest authority that is God Himself. Well, this tells us a a number of things. First, it tells us that the priesthood is not an authority unto itself. But there is a higher authority. So the sacrifice couldn't be substantial enough in and of itself. It's only submitting to a much, much higher authority. We're being told that Christ is sent and is ordained of God. Now what's interesting about this passage is after being taught of the priesthood of Aaron, the writer compares Christ. He says the priest doesn't appoint himself. 
The priest stands under a higher authority. And it would seem odd from a Christian pulpit to say that Christ stands under some authority. And yet the point is not lost. Christ did not glorify himself to be made a high priest. Don't lose this. You see, it's true. Christ came and he is the high king of heaven. He he did accomplish all of these things. He is high and lifted up. He is exalted. But the ministry of Christ is not apart from the very full picture of humility that we receive in the incarnation. We cannot forget that Christ came and dwelt as men in the very smallest, most insignificant picture of man. The fact that he would have to learn obedience. The fact that he would have to grow in stature and in knowledge. Excuse me. The fact that he would be born in a manger and on a cross made by a tree that he himself created. Don't you remember what Paul writes in Philippians? This Christ, though he was one with God, Though he was God, kind of not equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, he humbled himself, he made himself nothing or of no repute, whatever version or translation that you have chosen this morning, that is the message is that Christ has humbled himself. Even Christ did not say that I will come and place myself in the place of honor. comes as a son one is who is in submission to God the same God is the one who appointed the priesthood of old it's not a different God it's not a a, a different people a different promise The promise stands the same. It is the same God. He comes in under this authority that appointed that priesthood and and Christ comes in under that authority. On the highest authority. The Son does not come in a way that competes with the Father. He doesn't come in such the way that thwarts the purposes of justice of the Father. He doesn't come in such a way that uh, compels or manipulates the will of the Father. He comes in under the will of the Father. In the same way, Christ did not glorify himself to be made a high priest. But it was the one who said to him, 
Thou art my son. That one. The one of which we've already read. Uh, we've read this passage quoted to us before from the psalm, Psalm 2-7. And the text that I read for us this morning as we opened from Isaiah 9. I would like to revisit that again. Perhaps you have your finger there or might make note of this. But consider what the prophet said of this one who would come, this anointed one, this one appointed uh, to achieve for us our salvation. For unto us a child is born. Now certainly that showcases the humility with which Christ would come. A child. A Messiah, a king, all of these different things, these images that were given of the Christ, of this great high priest, this one who would offer sacrifice with authority, the one who would accomplish this atonement for all of the generations would come as a child. A child is born. Make special note of what follows unto us a son is given. What does Isaiah mean? How is a son a son before he is given? Before before Christ became a son of Mary. He was already the son of God. Before he came to that manger, to Mary and Joseph, he was situated in the heavens. in fellowship with his eternal heavenly father. You see, you haven't been given a man, you've been given the son. This should be special to us this morning. When we celebrate Christmas, what are you celebrating if not the giving of God's own Son? One who was God but did not count this a thing to be grasped. He, he gave up His rights and privileges in order to restrict His own deity to humble Himself by taking the form of man. child, a son. And what does Isaiah say? The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
Isn't it interesting that whenever the writer of Hebrews wants to indicate to you that Christ is the sufficient priest, he does so by way of telling you that you have received the Son of God. That one who is in perfect obedience to the will of the Father. Why is it that he dwells on this incarnation, that he dwells on this giving of the Son? And what of your celebration on Christmas encapsulates such a glorious truth? As a son who has made a priest, more than this, who has made a king. The writer really gives us a jam-packed statement this morning. Whenever he writes, this one who is spoken, speaking of God the Father, this is the authority on which he comes. It's the same authority where he gave the law to Moses that would establish the priesthood under Aaron. That same authority has spoken and said that this is my son, today I have begotten you. That speaker, this father is the one who bears the authority that establishes it on his son, the one who gives uh, to us the child is born and gives his son so that he would be called Wonderful Counselor and, and, and Prince of Peace, the one who would have the government upon his shoulder. That's the authority on which this priesthood rests, not the authority of Aaron, but the authority of the authority of the priesthood of Aaron, because another place he has said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is a passage that's been referenced already, but I would like to go to this one again. It comes from Psalm 110. Whenever David writes this, this is the context. We've already seen a son given who would have the government upon his shoulder and would execute this justice. And then the writer of Hebrews draws us to this priesthood after the order of Melchizedek coming from Psalm 110. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore, he shall he lift up the head. You see, while we have touched on the subject ever so lightly of Christ as our high priest, 
the author is drawing us to yet another theme. And it's that of king. Christ is the son who is given. Christ certainly is the priest who rests on an authority higher than Aaron and Moses. And he comes like the priest, Melchizedek, who himself was a king. There is no way we could attempt to cover all of this. This is the topic that we will address in the coming weeks. And it is the way that the author of Hebrews chooses to convey Christ to us so that we might understand this one who is given, this one who is called the Son of God comes as a priest king. I hope that that resonates with you this morning. Whenever Christ was born, whenever he was in his most lowly estate, at the very first fruits of the the incarnation, there were those pagan magi, interpreters of the stars, who would come because they had seen the light of a king. must understand this. Don't write this off when we celebrate the coming of this son. He did not come merely as a son. He did not come merely as a priest or merely as a king. He came as the son of God, the priest king of the people of God. Why is that important? You understand there is no priest king among the people of Israel except Melchizedek and Christ. Melchizedek really wasn't even of the people of Israel. Thank the Lord he has given us so much more to be able to study these in-depth truths and what that means to come after the order of Melchizedek. But I just adjure you in your celebration, whatever this may, may entail in the coming days, perhaps we would learn after even of all people, these Eastern pagan kings who have learned to bow when confronted with the most humble estate of a child that was born, but that was a son of God who was given, a mediator of all people, king above all kings at the very first sight of the Christ child 
we're told when they laid eyes on the babe, they worshipped. When we gather with our families, when we gather for celebration, when we give gifts, when we sing our songs, when we feast for joy, let us do so in worship of this great high King and our Savior Jesus Christ. Let this be the topic of our hearts today, tomorrow, every day. I think if it was, our churches would be full. Our hearts would be uplifted. Our homes would be joyful. Our communities would be fruitful. And our nation would repent. This morning, I close in a word of prayer. But it's not in general. This morning, I pray for every single one of you and for us that your family would be so focused on Christ this Christmas. That you would be so, your heart would be so full as you think on what God has done through this only begotten Son, one so humble, one so high and lifted up, one who is a Prince of Peace and a High King of Heaven. Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask, Lord, that you exalt the Son in our presence. Truly, we look forward to giving many gifts, having many conversations, Lord, feasting with the people that you have given us. Lord, we pray that it would be the fruit of blessing that exalts in the name above every name, in this name of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. Lord, one who was begotten eternally of the Father, who is God of God, light of light, true God of true God. Lord, who is not just the King above all of our weak kings of earth, but who is the high King of heaven, who is seated on His throne as we speak. One who fills our heart with joy. Knowing Lord even as he was born as a babe, he was already the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God, we take our rest in this Christ. Lord, we are thankful that we have such a time to 
study and to celebrate the name of Christ and his coming among men that you would become so near to us as Emmanuel. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us in New Life Baptist Preaching. We hope that you join us each Lord's Day in this study of the letter of Hebrews where we learn Jesus is better. Remember to subscribe so that you don't miss any sermon. Thank you.